Welcome to the pulpit ministry of the Clearview Baptist Church in Redmond, Oregon. It is our sincere desire to magnify the Scriptures, to glorify the Lord, to testify of the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, to edify the Christian, and to notify the sinner. Jesus Christ said, in answer to Satan, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It's our desire to be a blessing to you today. With our Bibles open, we invite you to listen to today's message. Find the book of Ephesians chapter 5 today, please. Ephesians 5, and this is the first Sunday of the new year. So, Happy New Year to each one. And uh, may it be a holy new year, amen? amen? Where we walk in holiness, and that is the pathway to happiness, by the way. If you walk in holiness, uh, you will find a blessing beyond compare and a happiness that springs from a true joy. And the happenings around you will not affect the joy of God in your soul. And, uh, but it's going to take getting under His shadow, under His wings, in the secret place, and having a quiet time alone with Him. So, uh, I'm not giving you a New Year's resolution. You probably made your own. And I don't do that. That's okay if you do. I just don't. I have found that um, a lot of people are very determined at the first of the year and they are sorely disappointed at the end of the year. And so I'm not trying to give you a New Year's resolution today, but what I do want to do with the help of God is I want to set this before us as, if you will, sort of a, a theme for the year. And what I mean by that is I, I want this phrase from the Scripture to come over and over and over again into our minds, I. And I want us to see this all the year long. So we will visit this passage, read it, and then we'll go to another passage to expound the phrase, okay? And so today I want to deal with the phrase itself in its context, and then we'll look at applications of that phrase throughout the year, not all year long, um, we're going to start, Lord willing, very soon in the book of the Revelation. That will be where we're heading next. And I, I hope to start that on the uh, last Sunday in January. That's my goal, if God permits. And so today, Ephesians 5. Did I ask you to find Ephesians 5? So let's go to the fifth chapter, the book of Ephesians. I'll read the verses, and then I want to uh, give you basically a quick overview for the whole book so that we see the book as a whole. And I'm not just lifting a phrase out of its context and uh, making a whole series or a whole sermon on it. Uh, we first need to set it in its context and uh, get the scriptural meaning of the very phrase itself. All right, Ephesians 5, look down. Well, let's begin with verse 1, and uh, we'll, I'll, just, I'll name the verses as we go, okay? Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And then come down, if you would, to verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as becometh saints." Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting. Now, jesting is vulgar wit. We could say in our day, dirty jokes, all right, when you study the Word. Uh, which are not convenient. So let not these things be named among you, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ, and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. 
For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now skip down to verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And that's the phrase I want to set before you today. And I want the Lord to set before us all year long is redeeming the time. That we sing the song in times like these, the days are evil in times like these. And then redeeming the time, more about Jesus, what I know, take time to be holy, and then my quiet time alone with God. All of that is under this heading of redeeming the time. So uh, briefly now, the book of Ephesians has for at least a theme, I believe it would be the primary theme, is the walk of the believer in the light of his position in Christ and in the church, okay? It deals very specifically with the believer's walk. There's a short introduction because this is a letter. He introduces himself, uh, tells who he's writing to, and then the body of that letter is chapter 1, verse 3, through chapter 6, verse 20. last four verses are a brief conclusion. But as Paul's method was, first, he lays down doctrine. He lays down truth. He tells you spiritual truths or what you must know. All right, that's chapters 1, 2, 3. This is doctrine to ground the saints. And if you don't have a foundation, if you don't know your doctrine, you will never be grounded. And you will always be aimlessly wandering and just not having any grounding, okay? And so doctrine must be first, or we could call it belief. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6 is direction to guide the saints. God's man must give doctrine, but he must give direction. This is what Paul does. Doctrine to ground them, directions to guide them. So spiritual truths, what we must know, but then in the direction he gives practical truths, okay? Or how we must walk. So now you know, now here's what you do with what you know, all right? Chapter 4, we won't deal with that. Chapter 5 is what I call the designation of the believer's walk. Verse 1, I read it. Chapter 5, verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God. So that sets the tone for the whole rest of the chapter. Chapter 5 is about following God. Verse 2, walk in love. So we're to follow Him by having the sincerity of love. And then verses 3 through 8, uh, very, uh, very dark, very, how's the word, very defiled mentions. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talking, jesting. And Paul says, don't let those things be named among you. So this is to walk in the purity of the Christian life. Not only the sincerity of love, but a purity of life. Okay, not dealing with that today. Uh, where I'm heading is the context for redeeming the time. So uh, picking up in verse 8, ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light. In the Lord walk as children of light. And I call this that we're to be followers of God by having or walking in the brilliancy of light. I use that term brilliant because you cannot study light in the Bible. You cannot study the glory of God in the Bible without running across the word brilliant. Okay? There's nothing dull about God. He's, he's not glittery and dazzly and with no substance. That's not dazzling. That's not what I'm talking about. But He is brilliant. He is wonderful. He is magnificent. And there is a holy glory and an infinite purity and just a brilliancy to the light of God. And this very light is what we are now, since we are in Christ. He says, for now ye are what? Light in the Lord. So in the Lord, we are light. So the command is what? Walk as children of light. 
So several things about this. Number one, walk as children of light, verses 8 through 13. We won't deal with that. Number two, look at verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. Now this is to believers. This is not to sinners. There's other passages that, that say sinners are sleeping. First Thessalonians 5. But here the saints are sleeping. And he says, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So this is walking not only as children of light, but walking with Christ in the light. And verse 1, he says, as dear children. I'm not going to preach it, but the picture there is little children. What do little children do often? They slip their hand up in mommy and daddy's hand. That's what he's saying. Walk with Christ in the light. He's waking. He's calling you to wake up. He's telling you to rise up out of your deadness. You ever said that? I was so sleepy, I was dead to the world. I've said it. I've been there. Amen. And so there's a deadness that results from the sleepiness. And you know what Christ says to the sleeping saint? Wake up. Rise up. I have light for you to walk by, to walk in. And here's my hand. To walk with. And then verses 15 and 16, our text for today, is to walk with circumspection in the light. Not trying to use a big word, it's a Bible word, circumspectly in the light. Then verse 17, let's read that together. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. This is to walk with consideration. Understand what the will of the Lord is. You'll never understand His will if you don't read His Word. And you'll never read His Word if you don't sit aside a quiet time and just read His Word. Three times a week, Sunday morning, four times Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and Wednesday evening is not enough. It needs to be a daily digesting of the Word of God by the individual. It's not enough from the pastor across the pulpit into the pew. It has to be a personal feeding. I mean, do you eat four times a week? I don't. I eat every day. Sometimes three, sometimes more if you include the snacks, you know. And so the point is we have to daily digest the Word and uh, that's how we're going to understand the will of the Lord. Now, verses 18 through 21, love these verses, but he says to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with song, to be filled with submission, to be filled with thanksgiving. And this is to walk completely in the light. Don't step back into the darkness. Stay in the light. Get filled with the Spirit of God. Speak to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing, make melody in your heart to the Lord. Then give thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another. And then here is that, that reference point in the fear of God. Now, we come back to verse 15 and 16. I want to read them again. I want to give you three words and then I want to deal with it. Verse 15, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So the thought today is redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Now, three words. Number one, there is the command. And then number two, there's the choice. And then number three... There is the challenge. And all that is found in verses 15 and 16. So first, the command. See then that ye walk circumspectly. This is the command. The New Testament is not optional. This isn't the law. We're not under the law. But we have the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are commandments within the New Testament Scriptures. They're not options, they're obligations. They are commands. Commands are expected to be obeyed, to be followed. Directives, whatever you want to call them. You know, your job gives you certain expectations, you meet them. Your home has expectations, you meet them. Or what? You fail. You, you, your mom and dad, kids, children, we have rules. That's a bad word to most people, but we have rules. We have guidelines. We have directives. We have commands. We expect them to be what? Obeyed, followed, honored. 
Nonetheless, this is a scriptural command, and it is to what? Walk circumspectly. Now, there's qualifiers. We'll look at that in just a minute. But the word circumspectly, I looked it up in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary uh, to, to, to find the word closest, obviously, in the English. Literally, circumspectly means to look on all sides. It means to be looking around. Therefore, it means that you are cautious. It means you are prudent. The Proverbs, I'm reminded, the prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. You see trouble down the alley? Don't go down the alley. The prudent man foresees it and he hides himself. And so it means to be watchful on all sides. It means to examine carefully all the circumstances that may affect a determination. In other words, it means to think before you make your decision. It means to take in every one of the aspects, all of the variables, put them together, weigh them carefully, and then make the decision to move, to speak, to not speak, to not move, and so forth. So it means to walk with an exactness in our steps. I do this all the time, especially when the kids were littler. But we would walk in the store or walk in the parking lot. And I'd say, now be careful. Don't step on the cracks. And you know what they're doing? They're watching every step they make. Now here's a more uh, serious illustration. But soldiers, especially in certain wars, World War II, it would have been, I know, but they would, have the, they would employ the use of mines in the fields. And the mines would be buried. And it has a, a button, so to speak, certain ones. And you step on that button, and if you release the pressure, it blows your leg off, blows your arm off, blows your body apart, and you're done or you're se- severely disabled. And so it came to be that they would either have whole troops or you know little units, I guess they would call them. But nonetheless, for this example, let it just be like this. But one man would be on point. He would be first. And he would go through the minefield, and he wouldn't disarm them, he wouldn't remove them, but he would flag them. And he would mark them. He would walk circumspectly. He would make every step count. Because the next step could be my last step, you see. And so, but for those coming behind him, he would flag the mines and he would mark a safe path for others to follow. That's often the job of the pastor. He's trying to mark the minefields. The parent needs to mark the minefields, okay? But this is what it means to walk circumspectly. Don't see yourself as someone coming behind. See yourself as the one on point. Someone is watching your life. Someone is depending on you. So you, as an individual believer, are called on to walk carefully. To walk thoughtfully. To walk circumspectly. And all right, as we continue, I'll mention this and I'll expound it later. Uh, but it means to walk wisely rather than foolishly. Okay? Wise, not as fools, but as wise. Now, why should we be careful? I remind you. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I can promise you that Satan marks his steps. He doesn't just walk around aimlessly. He walks with an exactness. He walks about here and there, to and fro, and all the while he is seeking He is walking with a purpose. He has an intention and he is seeking whom he may devour. He would devour our hearts. He'll devour our homes and he'll devour our honor as a Christian. He can't damn your soul to hell if you're a believer. You're safe. You're secure. You're sealed by the Holy Ghost. You're on your way to heaven. But he can 
defile your life. And He can destroy your testimony. And He can therefore diminish your usefulness as a Christian in a lost and dying world filled with darkness. In other words, He can tarnish your light. Walk as light in the Lord, all right? Be Walk as children of light in the days of evil and darkness. So this is why we must walk circumspectly. It's to make every step count. It's to be careful with your testimony. You have one testimony. It takes a lifetime to build. It takes a moment to lose. One wrong choice, one wrong thought, one wrong move, one wrong act, and a lifetime of building a testimony is done. It's over. Walk circumspectly. This is a call for careful Christians rather than careless Christians. Alright, now, that's the command. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. It's part of the command, but within the command, okay? So it's the big word, is the command. But within it, there's a choice. And what's the choice? Will I be a foolish follower of God? Or will I be a faithful follower of God? That's the choice we make if we would obey the command to walk circumspectly. Verse 1, be followers of God as dear children. All my children are dear to me, but some of them walk foolishly at times. And some of them walk faithfully at times. Sometimes they're all walking faithfully, hand in hand with Daddy, doing what Daddy's asked, doing what Daddy's commanded, heeding the warnings, hearing the wisdom. But oftentimes, they don't heed the warnings. And you know what they end up doing? They learn by experience. They learn the hard way. And they get burnt, or they get hurt, or they this, or they that. So here, the command should be followed up with a choice. Of our own free wills, we must say, I want to be the wise man. I don't want to be the fool. I want to be the wise man. So, hold your finger here if you don't mind. Go to Matthew 7. This brings to mind a passage that needs to be read here. Now, this context in Matthew 7 is our Lord and Savior speaking. And He is giving them the way to distinguish between the false and the true. He's telling us how to distinguish between false and and true individuals. Primarily, false teachers. But it has an application to all men, to all women, to all people. But at the end of the chapter, he begins to talk also about the wise and the foolish. So let's look at that. And verse number 24, Matthew 7 and 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. So let me say this, the wise and foolish, what separates them? The foundation separates them. Wise men hear the sayings of Christ, the Scriptures, and they do them. Fools, they may hear them, but they don't do them. That's good, preacher. It's not for me. That's foolish thinking. Wise men say, that's good, preacher. That was for me. They hear, they do. James 1, we won't go there, but he says, to be a faithful hearer, I must must be a hearer and a doer of the Word. To be a forgetful hearer is to be like the man who looks at his face in the glass... He looks in the mirror and he sees, man, my hair needs fixed. But he gets doing this and doing that and he he runs out the house and he forgot what manner of man he was. And he didn't pay attention to the mirror that reflected what he was. He's a forgetful here. He's one who reads the Word, hears the Word, but not going to do that. That's not for me. So the difference between wise men and foolish men is wise men, wise women, wise children. They hear the sayings of Christ. They do them. And what, what, what does this prove? Their house, their life is built upon a rock. 
Matthew 7, 25, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these things of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, and great was the fall of it. Why? Because the foundation was sand. If you don't take time at the foundation and go deep before you go wide, the house is going to fall. It's that way in a church. It's that way in a home. It's that way in the life, the individual heart of a man, woman, or a child. Now, this choice, wise or foolish. Before we look at Ephesians 5 again, let me run through these. A scriptural picture. This is by no means exhaustive. This is limited to the book of the Proverbs. And it's pretty much limited to the first half of the Proverbs. I didn't look at every mention of the word fool or wise. But a, a fool, there's a glaring difference between foolish and wise men. All right, The fool in the Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 7, despises wisdom and, and instruction. Fools hate knowledge, chapter 1, verse 22. Fools talk much, understand little, they hide hatred, they spread lies, they slander others. That's chapter 3, verse 35, chapter 8, verse 5, chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, verse 18, verse 21. Foolish children are the heaviness of a mother's heart, chapter 10, verse 1. The fool actually finds his sport in doing mischief. Chapter 10, verse 23. The heart of fools proclaim foolishness. They find it an abomination to depart from evil, which means they find their pleasure in sin. Chapter 12, verse 23. Chapter 13, verse 19. Fools mock sin. They rage in self-confidence. Proverbs 14, verse 9 and verse 24. The foolishness of fools is folly. And they will eventually be exposed for what they are. Chapter 14, verses 24 and verse 33. And then here is a scripture, Proverbs 28, 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely shall be delivered. So this brings us to the wise man. The wise man, contrary to the fool, glaring a glaring difference, an obvious separation. He hears... And he increases in learning. Chapter 1, verse 5. Wise people fear the Lord. They depart from evil and they will inherit glory. Chapter 3, verse 7 and verse 35. The wise hear instruction. They refuse it not. Chapter 8, verse 33. Wise men receive rebuke and they love the one who rebukes them. And they are always the wiser after instruction. Proverbs 9 Verses 8 and 9. Wise children make glad fathers. Chapter 10, verse 1. The wise in heart receive God's commandments and they lay up knowledge for later. Chapter 10, verse 8 and verse 14. Wise men, wise people refrain their lips. They limit their words. Chapter 10, verse 19. The way of a fool. Chapter 12, verse 15. Excuse me. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. And then chapter 15, verse 24, The way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. Not all fools will die and go to hell if they come to Christ. But all fools who reject Christ will die and go to hell. I say that because it is the most foolish thing in the world to reject the Savior. The way of life is above to the wise. Wise men, wise women, wise people receive the Lord Jesus Christ, that they may what? Depart from hell beneath. Now, in the context of Ephesians 5, I've read the verses several times, but I believe with all my heart that to be wise rather than to be foolish is to have heard the call of Christ to awake out of sleep. And then it is to respond to that call 
Rise up from your spiritual slumber and sleep. Step away from your spiritual deadness. As you receive the light of His countenance, you take Him by the hand and you walk in the light of Jesus Christ circumspectly and you begin redeeming the time because you see the days around you are evil. That's what it means. That is the choice. Will I go to Christ? Will I hear His call as a believer and get up from my slumber, step toward Him, leaving my spiritual deadness, hearing His voice, seeing His face, taking His hand, embracing His light, and then choosing to be wise rather than foolish, and then to begin redeeming the time. Now this is the challenge. The command, walk circumspectly. The choice, not as fools, but as wise. The challenge is redeeming the time. Why do I say it's a challenge? Because we're in this flesh. And your flesh is like my flesh. The unsaved part of Ben Cooley is lazy. It's rotten. It's sinful. It cannot do good. Romans 7, there's no power in the old man to do good. There's nothing about the old man that's good. Thank God the old man will be left behind and this corruptible man will put on incorruption. So, so what's the challenge? We're still in this body. But if you make the choice, once you've heard the command, then the challenge, you're willing to take it up and by the strength of God and the grace of God and with the help of Christ, you can begin to redeem the time. So what is the challenge? What does it mean to redeem the time? Two things. Number one, redeeming the time is see. I use the word see because in verse 15 he says, see them. You know what he says? He's called you to wake up. So you know what he says now? Open your eyes. See. See this. See, number one, see the duty. What's the duty of the Christian? Redeem the time. And then number two, see the darkness. The days are evil. We can't stick our heads in the sand and say, well, the world is wonderful and life is amazing. No. The Christian looks around him and he says, the days are evil, but God and His grace are amazing. And I think I'll just walk another mile. I think I'll just take another step. I think I'll just sing another song. I think I'll just preach another message. I think I'll hand out one more track. Hey, every track I've tried to hand out this week has been rejected. But that doesn't mean I need to stop. It means I need to try one more time and one more time and one more time. Why? The days are evil, so let's redeem the time. So what does it mean to redeem the time? If we're to do it, what's it mean? See the duty. What's the duty? Number one... Uh, the Christian duty, it calls for sacrifice and service. If you're going to redeem the time, it will require time. It will require sacrifice. It will require service. I told you circumspectly means to make every step count. Watch out for your testimony. But redeeming the time is part of walking circumspectly. It means make every second count. Be careful with your Time. So redeem means to buy up. It means to rescue from loss. It means that you see the fleeting moments of time passing you by and you're seeking to redeem them. I know there's a time and a place when you're sick or not well or you've stayed up all night doing this or that to sleep in. I know that. But that's not redeeming the time. I know there's a time and a place to just rest and just relax. That generally, unless it's time to come apart, there's way too much recreation. Can I say it? In central Oregon. You know, one of the greatest hindrances to the gospel in central Oregon is the God, little g, of recreation. People have no time for God. They're at Lake Billy Chinook. They're at Mount Bachelor. They're on the trails. They're at the waterfalls. Why do I have... I don't have time for God. I've got all this stuff to see. Do you see what I'm saying? Redeeming the time. So if we're going to redeem the time, if we're going to buy up all the time and rescue from loss these fleeting moments, I'm just going to give you two things. Number one is free up your time.
And that's a huge statement that could encompass a worldwide list of thoughts. Okay, I just want to give you one thought under this, and because uh, I believe this is where we are. First Peter five, if you don't mind. First Peter five, and I want to look there, and then I want to read Philippians four. But First Peter five, I want you to look at that one, and I'm going to read this one while you're on your way for the sake of time. Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing. That literally means worry about nothing. All right? Be careful for nothing, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is where we should be spending our time. Right here. Worrying about nothing, praying about everything, and always giving thanks to God, and then the peace of God will fill our hearts, rule our lives, guide our steps, help our souls, and, and just really bolster our spirits and really permeate and fragrance our lives. But where are we most of the time? First Peter 5 and verse 6. Back up to verse 7, please. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility." That is good advice. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore, since God resists proud people. He gives grace to humble people. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Now here's how you humble yourself. Under the hand of God. Casting all your care upon Him. For He careth for you. Have we forgotten? He cares for us. I want you to know that. He cares for you. You means you. doesn't mean me. It means you. Amen? But when I read it, it means me. He cares for you. Thank God He cares for us. So how do we free up our time? I didn't say this was easy. But the Lord convicted me about this. Don't worry. I'm not talking about living carelessly. I've already established that. We're to live carefully. But don't worry. Trust God. Don't fret. Pray. You know what we spend our lives often doing? Worrying about things that will never come to pass. Don't take this the wrong way. I'm not talking about any of y'all. But then worrying about people we don't even like. And they don't even like us. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, you, you go to a new job or you go to a new school or whatever and, there's this, and you know somebody doesn't like you and you're so worried about this or that. And, and Stop worrying about it. Be the Christian. Walk with God. Live holy. And humble yourself under God and give it to God. And you know what that does? It frees up your time. And it rescues from loss all those minutes, all those hours, all those days, all those weeks, all those months, all those years we spent worrying. I read one time that the average person loses 20 years of their life to sleep. We have to sleep. But can you imagine that? I think they say if you live to the age 60, one-third of your life, generally speaking, on average, has been slept away. But do you know even sleep is redeeming the time when you do it right? And you don't overindulge and you don't, under, and you don't underindulge, if that's a word... And so, free up your time. Give your time, or give your worries to God. Now, number two, redeeming the time, I want to say this. Focus on your time. I don't want to say too much here, because I want to look at it a little next week. But do you know, the psalmist said, Psalm 90, So, Lord, teach us to number our days. Now, eternity puts the perspective on time. But when you see time for what it is, it helps bring eternity into perspective. Look at it like this. You know the dash on the tombstone? Born 1948, dash 1988. You know the dash? You know what that represents? Your life. Now... Take that dash and compare it to eternity and you can't even see the dash. You see? So focus on your 
time. And Brother Grizzly and I talked about this, but one of the greatest time wasters is social media. We spend our time so much right there. Focus on your time and then use it wisely. Had, we had Sister Davis sing the song, and I'm going to request it for next week again, if you don't mind. Hopefully you won't get bored, tired of it. But a, a quiet time. Just stop. Spend some time with Him. Focus on your time. Give your time first to God. And then that puts the rest of the day into perspective. And then what you should do is give your time to others, but for Him. Luke 10 and verse 38. Let's flip over there, and then I'll make a few statements uh, from, from Ephesians 5. Luke 10. This is what I mean when I say focus on our time. I want to dial in the focus here on a passage and bring it into real, true Biblical perspective, Luke 10, verse number 38. Now it came to pass, that's obviously a phrase that deals with time, doesn't it? It came to pass, as time was going. You know, time stops for no man, and neither does eternity. It doesn't wait on you, it's coming towards you. So it came to pass, as they went, that he, this is Jesus Christ, he entered into a certain village... And a certain woman, aren't you glad God knows who we are? Now, I'm going to say this, the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, it might be verse 4. But the Bible says that the memory of the blessed is just, but the name of the wicked shall rot. And Luke 16, two men were, were, were there, but only one man was named. Lazarus was named because he was known. The rich man wasn't named because he wasn't known to God, and he went to hell when he died. God knows the names of the righteous, of those who have been born again. And I'm glad He knows my name. But thank God He knows where the sinner is. And He loves, and He longs, and He draws sinners to Himself that they would know Him by name, and He would call them by name. So, uh, verse 38, A certain woman named Martha received Him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. So they're sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing His word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to Him. And she was redeeming the time. Now she was getting things ready. She was doing good. She was doing well. But she said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful. And troubled about many things. We go back to what I said earlier. Her time now, she wasn't serving. She was wasting time because she was worrying. I wish Martha would help me. And Jesus had to stop her. She started well. She was redeeming the time. But Jesus said, Martha, you're troubled. You're, 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 you're troubled and careful about many things. But notice what He says in verse 42. Not many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Where was Mary? She stayed at Jesus' feet. She wasn't finished with the quiet time until He was finished. That, I'm going to boil it down for you. Jesus said it. That's the one thing He's asked of you. And when you start there, and you stay there, the rest of the many things that we still have to do will come into focus. So free up your time. Quit worrying. Focus your time. One thing's needful. And I pull that together. And you know what the result will be? Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And we'll look more about that going into the secret place and then coming out of it. We'll look more at that, Lord willing, next Sunday morning. Now, to close, we must see the duty, redeeming the time. But this is what spurs us on as well, is to see the darkness. 
Redeeming the time because the days are evil. 2 Timothy 3.13, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Times are not getting better. It's not getting brighter outside. It's not getting godlier outside. It's not getting holier outside. The days are evil. Why? Because men are evil. We're not so much a product of our times as our times are a product of our hearts. The problem is the heart of man. Jeremiah 17, 9, it's desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. The hearts of men are depraved. We are wicked through and through. And so the days around us are evil. Now in the context, in Ephesians 5, what what are these evil days? They're days of debauchery. He talked about immorality. He talked about deception. Verse 3, 4, verse 6, disobedience. Verse 6, darkness. Verses 11 and 12, deadness. Verse 14, uh, excuse me, drunkenness. Verse 18, all of that is under the heading of evil days. As Christians, we have spiritual sight. The blindness of our darkened hearts and minds has been removed. And you know what we can do now? We can see clearly. We're not in the night. We're in the light. And as we take the Word of God and we get in the secret place, it becomes a what? Lamp and a light unto our feet. And as we walk through the darkness, we can see clearly. And you know what I see as I bring the light of Christ to a dark world? I look all around me everywhere I go. You know what I see? I see darkness. I see evil. I see people deceived. I see people dead in trespasses and sins. We have to see this. We can't run around saying, hey, life's amazing. The world's good. America's holy. I mean, no. God is good. His grace is amazing. Oh, yes. But all around us, the days are evil. And these days that we live in are nothing but the extension of Paul's day. The days of our New Testament Scriptures. These are the last days. I believe the latter times are the last days. But here's what the Christian says. 1 John five nineteen. And we know that we are of God. And the whole world lieth in wickedness. The whole world, 1 John five nineteen, lieth in wickedness. This is true without a doubt. Evil days are hurtful days. You ever, have you ever noticed how many people are hurting today? Yep. Families are divided. Homes are divided. Marriages are divided. Hearts are divided. Churches are divided. There's so much hurt. Evil days are hurtful days. Days filled with calamity. Days filled with atrocity. They are evil in their effect. They are evil in their influence. And they present a challenge to believers to redeem the time. You know what the world wants you to do? Just hide away. Just I know where to hold fast, but just hide away. Don't speak the name of Jesus. Don't bring that Bible into the public arena. Don't spread your Christianity. Don't proselyte us. That's what the world is trying to get us to do, is to be silent. But we can't be silent. We need to be bold. We need to be light in darkness. Wickedness prevails in every place. It's time for God's people to stand up, live godly, redeem the time. Immorality is intense. Abomination is acceptable. Perversion is promoted. Evil is called good. Good is called evil, just like the words of the prophet, Isaiah 5.20. But what must we do? Overcome evil with good. The phrase before that is, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good, Romans 12, 21. So, there's an abundance of false doctrine which damns men's souls to hell. There's an abundance of moral perversion which wrecks the minds of men, their bodies, brings them to personal despair. There's an abundance of social confusion all around us. It keeps cities, communities, and whole countries in, in, in just a state of chaos, unrest, and confusion. And there is an abundance of political policies streaming from Washington, D.C. and everywhere else. And they are intent on removing God and removing the Bible from society all together. It's all working up to another Tower of Babel. We don't need God. We have government. We have us. Let us make us a name. Let us build us a tower. Let us have a city. And all of this proves Paul's point in Roman or in Ephesians 6, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Chapter 5, he says the days are evil. But in chapter 6, he says, you personally put on the whole armor of God that ye, that's a plural, that ye may be able to what? Withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I believe that evil day there is referring to the fact that the evil is going to find you. You don't have to go out here and find it. So the point is, you don't have to go out there to find it. It's going to find you. So, suit up in the armor. But before you suit up, you better wake up. Open your eyes. See the days are evil. Determine to redeem the time. Suit up in the armor of God. And then realize that we are more than overcomers. We're more than conquerors. And we can overcome evil with good. So let's all stand. And we're going we're gonna to bring this at 2 o'clock. I'm going to bring this um, into a, a better focus. And uh, so, Brother Davis, if you don't come, we'll, we'll play one, just one verse. He's just going to play one verse. And uh, the question is this. Will you redeem the time by giving more time this year to that place of prayer before the Lord? A secret place, a special place, a place where we must get if we would be victorious in these evil days which are upon us. As he plays... We want to thank you for listening today. This is Pastor Benjamin Cooley. We're meeting above the restaurant next to Sleep In in the North Redmond Event Center, located at 1857 Northwest 6th Street, Redmond, Oregon, 97756. Sundays we begin our Bible class at 1015, morning worship at 11, And our midweek prayer service is Wednesdays at 7, all at the same location. Reach us, Clearview Baptist, at proton.me, or look on the internet, www.clearviewbaptistredmond.com.